Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Guts Racing, as well as Phoenix Handlebars and Throttle Time Pieces. Throttle Time Pieces is your one-stop shop for knowing exactly what time it is when you look the best at the track the next time you go out and ride. Check out ThrottlePieces.com for your next new watch. I'm your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line for his very first appearance on the podcast, but I already know he's going to be a repeat offender. Uh, He is an absolute icon within the sport of freestyle motocross and was on the ground floor laying the foundation for where that sport is today. He's got a podcast of his own. You may have found him on social media where he's got a fantastic following as well there. You have to go find Doug Parsons here on the Big MX radio podcast. What's up, man? How's it going? Thanks for the the intro, man. Kind words. <laughs> well, got to have kind words for a guy who, uh, like I said, laid the foundation for this sport. A guy who risked it all, risked it for the biscuit when it came to uh, freestyle motocross. Someone who uh, was a, a pioneer of sorts. And we, we sort of talked about that off air a little bit. Um, before we uh, we dive like really deep into that career of yours, uh, what's new and exciting in the world of Dog Parsons now? You'd mentioned uh, some neck surgery on the horizon, uh, but there has to be more to that. Uh, um, um, give us a little bit of a synopsis of uh, of what's going on in the world of Doug Parsons these days. Well, I've got a, a couple. I've got three pensioners in my neck that I found out were pretty bad. And uh, that's kind of been a nagging injury over the last year. And it just steadily got worse. And I went to the doctor. I got some, some epidural shots. And they actually made, they made it so much worse. So... <laughs> It, it took like my worst day and made that my baseline. So I actually go to the doctor tomorrow, Tuesday, to to find out like what they want to do, and hopefully, hopefully that's just they can. What what happened is the scar tissue built up around one of my discs, and then that scar tissue is digging into the the root nerve in my neck. So that's the problem. Hopefully it it can be a quick fix. I don't know. I would think that they could just go in there and scrape the scar tissue out and then everything will be good. But my disc is kind of worn all the way out too. So I don't know, man, it's not looking too good, but hopefully, hopefully I can get back and do some riding soon. No kidding. Hopefully, uh, um, yeah, that gets cleared up for you in a moment's notice, and then you can, uh, uh, yeah, get back to riding that 2018-2019 uh, uh, CR450 that you've got in the in the garage. Um, yeah, if you like, I know you're you're in uh, you're in Arizona now. Um, where is it you'd like to get that thing out and uh, and, and ride a little bit? I, I I know motocross tracks maybe not abundant in your area, but uh, plenty of other off-road riding is. Op- opportunities as well yeah for sure anywhere in the hills will be good to me um i think i'm well overdue for some richie canyon riding so i'll probably be heading back there i haven't got to go out to the canyon as much as i'd like but um hopefully soon that'll change and i can make it out this year hopefully maybe not but for sure by the next uh free riding season I'll be in full swing and and hopefully by summer I'll be able to do other free riding like in Utah and places like that. I've been uh, keeping my eye on a bunch of spots uh, in my area, north and west and uh, more northerly where it's a little bit cooler during the summer. But yeah, it's uh, anything to do with the hills, that's kind of like right up my alley. So 
hopefully soon. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. Now, so like a place like uh, a place like that, like Ritchie Canyon. Um, Paint the picture for me, if you could, the last time that you went there with your riding buddies, as well as the first time you were ever on scene in a place like Ritchie Canyon. Like, what, what was it like the first time you ever went to a, a riding spot like that? A lot of people that are listening to this podcast can only imagine. Well, the, the first time I went to Ritchie, I was, I was maybe seven years old, and my parents had bought the property, but we didn't have the house there yet, and I had a three-wheel ATC, and our property was in between two hills. So we had this flat one acre piece of land in between these two hills. And where our house sits now, or my old house, uh, my mom would park and I would ride circles around where she was sitting reading her magazines. And I'd ride my ATC 70 in circles around her. And then as we built the house and moved out there, and my neighbors started riding. I would tag along with them, and I would go out in the hills. And I think he had like a fat cat 80, and I would borrow it, and I would I would bug him every day to go riding. I know I had to bend the, the biggest annoyance. I was over there constantly asking him if I could go ride. But finally, my dad broke down and got a 60 for me. And riding in Ritchie is, it's like just, uh, a trail riding paradise there is there's little fingers and little hips and spines from the start of Ritchie Canyon that hill terrain bleeds into Beaumont and bleeds into like Jackrabbit Trail and it keeps going east towards like Palm Springs and that hill range runs all the way like De Anza's out there I don't know if anyone remembers racing in De Anza back in the day but that that hill that whole terrain that whole like landscape from where it starts in Ritchie into San Mateo there's just tons of trail riding and there's as if you're on social media and you follow where a lot of the pre-riding is done you've probably seen a lot of Ritchie Canyon a lot of the stuff that like Vinnie Carbone and those guys are building um you know Josh Hill's always out in Beaumont a lot of people is that is basically what I grew up in was just the most epic during the winter, green rolling hills, chocolate cake, you know, you'd roll up on a, a hillside and there'd be 15 guys out there. A couple of people are filming, a bunch of people are shoveling, you know, we call them tombstone lips where it, it looks like a tombstone, but it's just a giant takeoff and everyone's out there shoveling, making the runway good, repacking the lips. We're breaking it in so it's just it's paradise for someone that likes to ride in the hills that's awesome man and to have all that stuff at your beck and call no wonder you were able to cultivate some uh, some extra special skills um and eventually turn that into a career within the sport of freestyle motocross, something that was sort of like in its absolute infancy uh, in the late 90s, uh, all even still through the early, early 2000s uh, when you were making a name for yourself. Um, like, how did the conversation go to go from basically like free riding and just hitting big jumps, some some probably some can-cans, some knack-knacks mixed in there, maybe a heel clicker sometime in the late 90s, to, uh, hey, you should enter a jump show. And, and uh, um, like, whether it be an actual, like, uh, just an ex- exhibition or an actual competition. How, how did that come to be? 
Well, that's a great question because back in the day, if if you were around in the very, very beginning, you know that there was never any freestyle. And if, if you ever wanted to make a living riding a dirt bike, you had to be a racer. So I grew up racing. I did all the amateur nationals every year. My parents put a ton of effort and money into, you know, giving me every opportunity I needed. And all the while, since I was that, since I had grown up in Ritchie Canyon, it, I didn't know. Like I just, I just lived there. It was a place that I lived, and it happened to be a place that influenced me into getting a bike and riding. So. Before I raced, I think I rode in the hills for about three years. And it was just, it was never about becoming a racer. It was just about riding in the hills. So for me, riding in the hills was kind of always the thing I did. And showing off kind of like as I got better, as a better rider, you know, I would see guys doing stuff. Um, you know, I'd start doing like no-handers or uh, my favorite thing to do was the whip. I would follow these guys around the hills. Like the, some of my neighbors were the Albrechts, Jeremy and Joel Albrecht. Of course. Brian and Jeff Emig lived there with them, and Buddy Antonet and Dana Wiggins and Billy Phelps. Dave Castillo always came out. So I was just super lucky that those guys happened to be out there as well. And I would follow them around in the hills all day. Like anytime I could find them in the hills, I was just chasing them around on my 60, my 80. And a lot of what they were doing was going out and finding jump to whip it on and stuff. And they were kind of like, you know, it's like Emig and uh, McGrath comes out and all these guys, these guys are winning Supercross. So they're also practicing their whips and they're, they're styling out on everything. And so that kind of influenced me. And I just remember always wanting to like learn how to whip it like them. I would watch them get so flat and pancaked over these like jumps in the hills. And I was just mesmerized. I was like, Oh my gosh, that is so cool. I need to learn how to do that. So that kind of, that was kind of like the seed, but at the same time I started racing and that was like the main focus. And I was trying to make that work, but deep down inside, I'd always been a free rider. Like it just, there was never a turn for it. It was, you were playwriting back then it was called playwriting so as i'm racing and it's it's going the direction it's going and i'm getting older and it's starting to get to that point where it's like man it's time to either start winning and paying for your own way or you know it's that fork in the road time but at the same time these little freestyle contests started popping up and uh, like crusty demon had gotten really big and popular. And these guys had always came out to my house and parked at my house and asked me to take them out in the hills and show them all the jumps. And so I was just kind of already doing a little bit of freestyle, not really knowing like these early days filming in the hills with these guys was kind of setting me up for these freestyle contests that started popping up. And in the off season, me and a couple of my buddies, we would get invited to these freestyle contests. And even though I wasn't doing seat grabs or I wasn't really doing that many tricks, I think I could do a knack knack, maybe a, a no footed can. And we would get like last place and second to last place. 
and we would make like a thousand and fifteen hundred bucks, and we were just like, no way. We made more money than we'll ever make racing, and we were just doing what we do out in the hills every day. Are you kidding me? So it was like, I did that for a couple of years, where I was still, I was still kind of racing. I was giving it a hundred percent, but I kept getting hurt and wasn't really giving myself that fair advantage. I was always like racing back from an injury, trying to hurry up and get back in time for Supercross. And so I, I think it was like 2001, fifth round of Supercross. And I went filming up at Castillo Ranch and I saw some pictures of some seat grabs I did. And I was like, holy crap. Like I had never really seen myself doing like a complete seat grab. And it was like, it was that moment where I was like, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to do these freestyle contests and see if like I can make something there. And since I had kind of ridden freestyle in the off season, I kind of learned the basics. I kind of had some seat grabs. So there was a, a series that I rode called Aramec. I remember just making so much money. I told my dad, I'm like, I just made three grand the last five weekends each weekend. I'm like, dude, I'm going to do this freestyle thing. And so that was kind of, he wasn't stoked on it at all because, you know, at this time, freestyle had only maybe been a sport for maybe three years or four years. So he just, he didn't know. There was a lot of unknown. And at the time, freestyle was kind of looked down upon, like, you were the party guy that couldn't make it racing. So you go do freestyle. So it didn't really have that good of a stigma, but it was changing and it was a way for me to stay on the bike. And it was, it was just like the, the burning desire in me was always like a free rider. So that's kind of like the, the long, the long version. Fair enough, man. Well, that, that's uh, that's really interesting, given the fact that uh, it's just such a um, an interesting way for people to get into that sport. Like, obviously, now it's more a little bit more of a tailored thing. It's a proven way to make money in the sport. But at that point, it was it was absolutely in its infancy, as well as the tricks were themselves. Um, like uh, when you decide to make that leap, uh, I'd imagine uh, like what was the learning curve like for you, and uh, what were some of the first uh, some of the first tricks that you're like when you committed yourself? Okay, I'm learning tricks now, um, and uh, yeah, like what was that all about for you? Well, it was an interesting thing because I came from racing, so to me it was it was so foreign because never in my life had I tried to go as high as I possibly could, because when you hit ramps, you want to try to get as much air as you can. And to take my hands off the bars was so foreign. I, I just remember going practicing like out at Manny's yard and stuff. And just, it was so foreign to me. I couldn't get over how awkward I felt trying to jump off a ramp, grab the seat and swing into like a full-blown heart attack like it was it was so different than everything I had known from you know since I had been eight years old so I just I remember practicing going out to the ramps like every day just like it'll feel better tomorrow 
it'll feel better tomorrow. Like it just, it never felt like it was normal to me. And, and over time it just, it started feeling normal. And I, I started making that transition from racer and freestyle guy. I remember like always writing down all the tricks I needed to learn. And I would just start with like the, the base of the trick. Like the heart attack is the base of a sea crab. And then there's the, the scorpion heart attack, and there's the Indian heart attack, and there's the one-handed heart attack, the one, you know, so you, you get the base down of each of the categories, like a no-foot-a-can trick, your seat grab tricks, your bar tricks, um, your, your Superman tricks, and I just remember always writing down my tricks and, like, just focusing on getting the, the bases down and then progressing from there and stuff, and it it felt foreign at first, but then it started clicking, and after a while, it, I like retrained my mind to 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 think like a, a freestyle rider. It was weird. It was it was tricky at first, for sure. Fair enough. Take us to that fir- very first uh, contest. Uh, do you remember your run? Uh, what was the highlight of it? And if you if you look back at that uh, that list of tricks today, uh, are are you still impressed, or are you still kind of like looking at it with one eye open? Like I can't believe that was what I went to the contest with. Um, the the first contest I went to, it turned out to be an X Games qualifier. Later on, it counted as an X Games qualifier, so it actually really it was actually why I got to qualify for X Games my first year, but it was um an LXD contest, one of Paul Talbot's very first contest at Orange County Fairgrounds. And it I think it was how he got into X Games as well. He used that contest as a way to get in with ESPN and then they aired the contest and from that airing they asked him to bring the freestyle to X Games. So it was kind of a a cool moment to be a part of because for me, I was just having fun. It was it was like a free ride type course. It was one of the the first times metal ramps had been brought in. I think they had made metal ramps for like the warp tour and they kinda dialed them in and Mickey Diamond was the one that made the ramp, so they had him bring the ramp. They had him build the course. So it had, like, some really cool free ride hips and stuff. I just remember, like, I'm I'm a straight-laced racer guy. You know, I show up. My bike looks factory-looking. And here these guys are with, like, their cutoffs. Ronnie Feist had, like, a, a gold tooth. And, like, I was just so fish out of water, but... I had a ton of fun riding, and the coolest part of it, though, was all those freestyle guys that I was scared of, they totally were, like, cool with me because I was a good rider, and, like, they just, they were, they, they were totally cool with me from, from day one. They were always super cool, even though I was kind of, like, more of a straight-laced racer guy, but as, but they were always super cool to me, and that was, that was pretty, I remember that being, like, a pretty cool moment because I didn't think those guys were going to accept me or be cool with me, but them being that cool with me was like a big reason of why I made the jump too. So that was, that's what stands out the most to me. I remember getting interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine at that event too. That was another thing I remember. 
That's pretty cool, man. That is that is that is pretty wild, and like just to see the progression of that, and and, and this how welcoming of a of an atmosphere, very different from the the racing uh like community where you roll in there and it, like rather than uh having some some new kid cute new kids to go to school with it's more like oh like who's this new kid and like hey like back of the pack buddy like uh almost not excited to see a, a new new one sh new person show up to uh the starting gate uh they're just very welcoming and like sort of teaching new tricks it's all about expression honestly like with with, with uh, in a judge sport like that uh, there's so much, uh, is it objectivity or subjectivity? I think it's objectivity. Um, to like to the judging and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, you do a Superman uh, seat grab. I'll do a Superman seat grab. Best one wins. Let's do this. Knuckles about it the whole nine yards. And of course, at the same time, like you'd mentioned, they had absolute cartoon characters in the industry at the time with uh, Ronnie Feist and Brian Deegan and, and everybody else in between. Last thing I want to... Uh, and I want to ask you about before we switch things into talking a little bit about uh, Monster Energy Supercross, two rounds in the books now, is that uh, I believe this weekend kicks off uh, the great Winter X Games. And of course, motocross, not necessarily known to be a winter sport, um, but Winter X Games had motocross events, super uh, freestyle events for uh, for a number of years there. Of course, uh, people remember mostly uh, Brian Deegan falling out of the sky uh, out of a uh, basically two-story building and snapping his femur like a toothpick but you you competed in that as well and like i competed in freestyle skiing i was used to hitting those like a, a jump of that size on skis and landing backwards um but i could never imagine uh, a bike with uh with studded tires on it uh supercross or freestyle suspension obviously probably a lot stiffer and then two strokes carbureted running at altitude also in the cold um can, is it possible for you to sort of take us through that a little bit or give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of what it was like to compete in Winter X Games as a freestyle motocross yeah. athlete? Yeah, Winter X Games was crazy for sure. I I remember watching the first year on TV. I want to say I had already started riding freestyle because uh, I made the switch in 2001. I remember I watched... Uh, Winter X Games, the first one for Moto on TV, and I remember it was crazy because it was in Vermont and it was this crazy snowstorm. But it was also when Mad Mike Jones won with the Kiss of Death. But the the story behind that is uh, Ryan Leva is the one that created the Kiss of Death, and as far as I remember it, I think they were practicing together before the event back home and at Manny's, I even think it was at Manny's, and that's where Jones learned of the Kiss of Death, and then because he was just, you know, the more animated type guy, and he was a bigger name at the time. He got credit. You know, they both, yeah. Stolen he valor. He won, yeah, kind of, so um, that that's kind of how it went down, but when I showed up the next year, uh, I think it was, this was in 2002. I just remember looking at an 18 foot tall takeoff that was a block of ice because they built the jump. And then what Dane Heron would do is they, they would pack it and they would drill holes in it and they would stick the hose down in there and they would fill it up. And then overnight it would freeze and they would do that for like every 
day for like the two weeks prior to the event. So wow. the takeoff is it's, it's it's like 18 feet tall, and it's just got a gnarly transition. Like you can't walk up it at all because you're, you're already going uphill. So the whole thing is a block of ice, basically. And then the landing, the distance was uh, the first year, no joke. I think it was 160. And the the landing was a tabletop, uh, like a 50 or 60-foot tabletop. So it was – I just remember it was like third gear wide open. So it might have been like 130 or 140. Wow. On and a 252 stroke, was, that's that's sending it out there. Yeah, yeah. Good, kind of going uphill too. So the, the takeoff super gnarly. You got the studs in your tires, so your bike just feels different. It's, yeah, you're not really in like the soil. Soil, you're right. like kind of on it. Yeah, yeah. It's like ultimate traction, but then also now you're up in altitude, so your bike is is down on power. So it was just, it was super. It was different, but I remember walking out and looking at the the jump, and Nate and I were the first ones up, and I remember him looking at me going, I'll follow you off of it, and I was like, I was like I'll do it first, because anything to do with, like, dirt jumps or, like, pre-riding type stuff, like, I was always down to jump at first. Like, when it came to the ramps, I was always a little hesitant because I had a crash on a ramp, like when I was uh, doing freestyle in the off season, I crashed at a, a clear channel event and I got hurt pretty bad. And it was like, it's, I think that's kind of why I was always timid with brands. I, I think that was why maybe I was always timid about the flip, but I was down to jump that snow jump first. And I remember every year that I went to winter X, I always was the first guy to jump it. Everyone was just like, I don't know, man. I'm like, I'll do it. I don't care. There's a 50-foot deck on the tabletop. If I case it, I'll be all right. So, but yeah, it was pretty gnarly because that first year, I just remember just going so high. Do you remember what your uh, your best trick, uh, like what trick you competed at, the, at that event? Yeah, I think the I think I did a kiss of death, like a scorpion one, one year, and one I think maybe the second year I tried to do a whip, but it's just to, to carve the the lip with snows like studs in your tires, it just the bike just wants to stand right back up. So I kind of threw away that year trying to do a whip. But if I remember right, I think maybe I did a, like a double grab scorpion trick, and then I did a, a kiss to death scorpion trick. I have some pictures where I'm like super high in the air, just doing like a perfect scorpion and double grab and stuff, but. Um, I think my best finish may have been like a fifth or something. I'm not sure. Fifth or sixth. Fair enough. Just double grab, totally scorpioned out with the, uh, the Aspen mountains as a backdrop. That is way too cool. Um, and honestly, I, I'm looking forward to having you on, uh, in the future to, to uncover more of these types of stories. I think that the, although somewhat well-documented in by certain athletes, certain like the, like the, like people have heard Travis Pastrana's story of the early, like late nineties, early two thousands moto, same thing with Brian Deegan. Uh, but that's only like 
a small portion of the amount of riders that were and and the and the characters that were part of that uh, sort of movement. I would love to like bring on like got more guys like yourself. Uh, same thing with Mike Mason uh, of guys who uh, who've got tons of stories. Same thing with Ronnie Feist to be honest. Like the, like guys that just have so much stories, uh, so many stories to uh, to go along with it. Um, but on top of all of that, you're an average Supercross fan and a podcaster of your in your own right. Um, and in this last weekend, we uh, we saw. Supercross storm into Oakland, uh, a stadium that hasn't seen much action uh, since the uh, since the A's finished their last uh, game about four or five months ago, maybe three or four months ago. Um, but either way, um, two rounds down, uh, tons of storylines sort of coming out of that, and and, and one of which being uh, first and foremost, and because like obviously Supercross is top of mind for a lot of people, it just kicked off. Um, is that like the two tracks that we've seen so far in Supercross? Anaheim won, slippery on top, but it's like sticky uh, in the the bottoms of some of the transitions. As I was, as I was told, I was actually at that race. Uh, and then Oakland, you go there, and it that track just breaks down for a living. It did that in 2017 when uh, Eli Tomac and uh, Cooper Webb were just basically the only two guys out there battling. Everyone else was just racing the track. Same thing in 2018 when uh, Jason Anderson won. The place was completely falling apart, and Anderson uh, catches a win there. Um, and it just seems to hit like historically, and it, and it reared its ugly head again this last weekend in Oakland, is that the, the, the track surface itself breaks down so much that it actually ev- eventually sort of impacts the racing, where guys are no longer racing each other. They're racing the track. Yeah, for sure. I think with Anaheim, you, you're so close to the beach that you get the, the dew that rolls over. And typically, Anaheim's always known for having, like, really, like, tacky, like, almost blue groove type clay dirt. So as the track breaks in and it gets more compact and the blue groove kicks in and then you get the morning-night uh, mist and the dew that rolls over from the beach, you get that, like, really slippery top surface but it's deceiving because it looks like it's perfect traction with it being you know just lightly misted so it's it's tricky Anaheim's always been like that it's it's always been like kind of slippery on the top but hard pack or blue loop underneath and then Oakland for sure I've always noticed that that it's always it seemed like it's been rockier in the past maybe that's why it breaks down so much. I'm not sure. I, I haven't been to Oakland in a long time. I don't even know if I raced there when, when it was there, but yeah, the, you could tell the track was deteriorating pretty bad and it was definitely giving some guys some problems. Some of those turns at Oakland where they're coming out and the ruts were getting real choppy and stuff. I was just like, Ooh, hitting those with supercross suspension has got to be rough. And some of those guys that were washing out like Moseman and stuff, it's probably because their suspension's so stiff for Supercross, but yet that dirt, it's not as tacky as like an East Coast track would be. So some of these guys are charging in on maybe a little bit too hard, washing out the front end. For sure, it was biting some guys. Certainly, like uh, like it's um, like 
you're a guy who did did race some supercross when when the whoops get a big rut down the middle like that and that's something that we've seen all throughout supercross history is that you get one line that's been hit how much of a balance beam is that to be able to sort of thread the needle lap after lap um because there is a clear-cut groove that goes through there as well as there's times where um if one guy's bike is kind of going back and forth that develops sort of a pattern of what's going to happen to everyone's bike after that. What, what is that like? For sure. That that's always a tricky thing when the whoops wear out like that, because it's almost sometimes slower to go down that middle line because you're, you're jumping through them. You're not really skimming the tops of them. And because they wear like a V sometimes your bike will start swapping back and forth through them. And it sometimes almost can be faster just to hit the outside where the whoops are maybe a little bigger, but they're easier to skin. Even though that middle line is worn down and usually guys start wheeling and jumping through them, the main issue with the line when it gets like that is when your back tire starts bouncing off the uh, sidewalls of the rut because that, that V cut down the center line of the whoops that gets worn in your back tire will start bouncing off those sidewalls all the way through. And then that becomes, that'll slow you down so much going through. Whereas somebody that is blitzing the outside might pass you. So it's always a crapshoot because that worn out line could be faster, but then sometimes it might just be faster to, to move over and try to skim through them. Well, that's super interesting, man. Like, I honestly, like, I, I find it, uh, it's, it's a reoccurring thing. Every year at Oakland, we seem to have these, uh, just, like, this track that just is an absolute menace, both in practice and then also as the track deteriorates uh, into the evening program. Um, like, aside from the from the track, we also just had some, some, some wild uh, finishes to begin with. Like, honestly, and, and this is... Uh, something that we, we've seen from this guy before, Jason Anderson. He's been like super hot some weekends. He's been cold for about the last four years, uh, however. Uh, but he is a former championship champion in this class. I think he was moving forward. He was actually in second when Justin Barsha uh, uh, eliminated him from uh, from the top from the top five in uh, in Anaheim one. Uh, but in your opinion, is is Jason Anderson for real? Is he going to be uh, a consistent threat throughout this championship? Or uh, um, is he is he just having a hot start to this year? Yeah, I, you know, I like what I see. When I heard he switched to Cowie, I was so stoked because I felt like he needed a change. He's a, an awesome rider, and it just seems like he was getting stuck in a slump with the Husky. He was, he was struggling, like, to get back to that – when did he win his championship? In 18? Yeah, yeah, 18, uh, 2018. But he only actually, I believe he only won three or four races that year. Right. But he struggled in like 19 and 20, I think, from what Analyst. I remember. Like, yeah. Yeah. So This is his first win like since uh, so it was a triple crown in 18. So his last legitimate yeah. win, I think, was Oakland 2018. Right, yeah. So I, I like what I see. I think... For sure, he's going to be uh, a title contender all year as long as he stays healthy. I think the new team is working out great for him. I think with social media and the sport becoming more accepted, like I want to guess that there's – Bell gave out the most media passes. If you had to ask me what I saw from A1 and A2, 
I've never seen so many people shooting video and I saw more smiles on all the riders' faces like Tomac and Barsha and all these guys. And back in the day, it was frowned upon to film. And I think with social media and the times changing, I think it's become more acceptable by the team. I mean, that's why you see guys like Bam Bam putting effort in his YouTube channel. And Anderson has always done the Team Fried thing. And I think he was lucky that Husky was cool with him doing that. But I think now with it being more accepted and being on that Cowie team, I think it's just going to – I think that is exactly what he needs to give himself an opportunity to win the championship this year. It's going to be tough because there's – I think it will be like last year where each weekend it's going to be a new winner for a long time. But I feel like Anderson will always be right there like he was in 18 where he was consistently there. He didn't win that often, but he still took on the championship. So I think so, man. I, I love what I see. I like how he's uh, crafting Team Fried, and I like how he's presenting it to everyone. The whole skit with Barsha, I thought that was great. They capitalized on a, what could have been a lot of sourness, and they just they both embraced it. I thought that was cool. I don't know if those guys would have done that. Uh, maybe a couple years ago. Yeah, you think, think uh, because, you think RC's buying any Stu merch in 2005? Right, no way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, no one's, no one's going to put any effort into creating content like those guys did back in 2005. No way. Like, it was just, I, I think social media had a positive influence on everyone. I think a lot of those guys, are smiling too because they've got the experience like Tomac he's got his championships he's on a new team he's happy things you know things look to be up Bam Bam's having fun he's doing the YouTube thing that's cool you know Anderson's got team fried he's on a new team things are things are going good even uh Stewart is riding good and his little squabble with Marvin I thought was they handled it I thought Stewart handled it pretty good. You know, he's just like telling him, like, dude, you got to be smarter than that. You know, it's, I don't know. I just, it seems like everything was better. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely he is. And I, I think that you're totally right. I think there's a lighter atmosphere at the races and uh, Supercross in general and like Feld Entertainment have recently, um, they've, they've been able to embrace the power of the video. Right. You know what I noticed, too? Um, I, I noticed a lot more people have Supercross footage in their videos. And I want to say that was like a big no-no a couple of years ago. Because oh, yeah. They I wouldn't let the, that happen uh, yeah. for nothing. Right. Because like they barely let Dirt Shark have like 30 minutes of practice or something. And then what I noticed over the last week or two, I'm like, wow, a lot of people have Supercross footage in their Instagram videos and on their, their shows and stuff. And I... I was like, I wonder if they, they changed that up a little bit. You were there, so you probably got all the media information. What they change it? Uh, they've certainly allowed a lot more uh, daytime qualifying uh, practice. Uh, they are still somewhat limiting on who ha- has the ability to film during the night show. I think they're they still like that. That property is something that they still very much want to be able to control, uh, and they're they're like let less allowing of that um but uh i think 
for the most part, um, from what I've seen, they're they're allowing more people to film during the night show, as well as when uh, when individuals share uh, the just the, the clips that are already out there. Uh, they're not like uh, Failed Entertainment Supercross is not uh, is not flagging them to be taken down in any way. I think they're just they're, they're embracing the fact that if if these accounts are going to share this content and they're going to put this out there, uh, it's good for our brand uh, as long as it's uh, not done so in a disparaging way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, they got to deal with the times, man. It makes everyone else's lives easier when you can have access to that footage and stuff for sure. Especially guys that do the, they watch the race and do a podcast at the same time. And they're able to put that, the race footage and incorporate into their, their video podcast. That's what I saw too. I was like, wow, I wonder if they're going to be in trouble for that. I saw someone doing that. Okay. Uh, yeah, like the stuff, stuff like that. Like honestly, it's maybe one of those like uh, um, ask for uh, <laughs> forgiveness, ask, ask for forgiveness rather than uh, than uh, like than asking for permission. permission. But uh, yeah. regardless, um, all the power to them. I have I haven't uh, personally done that, but honestly, I think the YouTube is uh, the nef- next avenue for this podcast to land on. Um, like that's that's a skill set that I still need to acquire, uh, but for for all intents and purposes, I think that it, it's uh, um, it, it's good for the sport. It's more eyeballs on it. I, I think it's thought provoking, and, and honestly, this is something that like I, I I've I've thought thought long and hard about this as well. Is that uh, the sport is amazing. The the watching the the races are is a fantastic thing, um, but the coverage of the sport is almost a separate thing in and of itself. I think there's a lot of people who uh, spend more time and have more interest in uh in listening to the 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 analysis of the sport um sometimes more than even just watching the sport itself like uh, i i know that uh like just every single week um an individual like steve mathis with pulpamex uh and and his platform he puts out 10 hours of of content based off of a race that took three hours like gets actually a lot of content and a lot of viewership um over uh out out of a race that uh, is, is less than half the length Right. Yeah. No, I I love listening to Carmichael and Haley's podcast. I don't know if they're yeah. going to keep doing it, but man, when you hear RC talk, oh my gosh, I'm like, man, those are like little nuggets of like golden information just to hear him think how he like breaks down the race and what those guys think, you know, being at that caliber they were at. That's when those guys analyze a race, what everyone was doing, I'm like, Dude, I tune into that so fast. Hundred <laughs> percent, dude. Oh, like I, I could get, I could talk until I'm blue in the face, and people can complain about like uh, Ricky's delivery, uh, like uh, of his uh, his analysis. Is he a talented co-host or, or a color commenta- commentator? Uh, is he absolutely razor sharp in that regard? Um, I would, I think, if you gave him truth serum today, he'd still says. He'd still say he has uh, things to work on as far as his skills on the microphone. But to have Ricky Carmichael in the booth for 17 rounds of Supercross is like watching your favorite football game with Jerry Rice and Joe Montana there at the exact same time. Um, There's nobody who ever did it better than Ricky Carmichael indoors and out. Uh, I know everyone is going is to blow me out of the water about the 72 wins for uh, for McGrath, but like literally that number aside, 
it's 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 RC and then it's everybody else. And, and that guy takes the time to jump into the booth and give us his analysis every single weekend. And uh, and if you don't like listening to that, you can also sw- switch over to the um, like uh, David Pingry and David Bailey have uh, have an option uh, where on their Instagram, I think it's uh, you, like you can basically live stream those guys and uh, basically just mute your TV and let those guys explain it to you. So uh, there's you got two amazing options as to who to listen to. The little professor is a well of knowledge that uh, is surpassed by few. Yeah, for sure. Did you? I wonder how that's working out because. Um, I, I don't know. I've tried to picture how they would be doing it, but or how you'd watch it. Did you? I haven't tried it yet. I don't know. know. Like yeah. being from Canada, like I'm on the video pass, so I'm be, I, I'm willing to bet that I'm probably a few seconds or maybe multi, like maybe a minute mm-hmm. behind. So that wouldn't really help. Um, but yeah. uh, if it's bang on, like I don't know how they line it up properly. Essentially, like I don't, I don't think it's any. Like they're not doing anything wrong as far as like because they're not broadcasting it themselves. Like you watch it on your own thing and then turn on their audio. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's it, it's a cool it's a cool idea. And if the if if it's if it's at least somewhat lined up with what you're watching, I think it's a cool alternative. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Carmichael is, is definitely getting a lot better at it. There's no way I could do it. Um, I learned so much from starting my podcast and how to like host and uh, structure a conversation and just let it flow and stuff. And there, there is no way I would ever want to do any type of live announcing. It's got to be so difficult, but he's like gotten so much better each year. You can tell he's trying, um, you know, I know it was rough the first couple of years probably, but you but know, that's anybody in any role. And, like you got to yeah. give the guy some slack here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It's it's got to be so foreign to him. You know, it's probably like similar to when I was trying to learn freestyle. It was just something so new and so different that it just it took a minute to for it to click and stuff. But you know, I, when I listen to him do the broadcast and stuff, I try to break it down as if like I was the producer and um, how they structure. The, the announcing and stuff and I'm like man that's that's so difficult because you can tell when they want to overemphasize certain things or just to carry that that energy level the whole time and when things happen to to commentate on it like man that's got to be so difficult yeah it's it's not easy no I, I think it's a, a there's a lot of people out there that uh they see a guy like daniel blair doing it and they also see uh like some of the the guys have done it in the past and sort of take it for granted and you listen to like uh, other sports like uh last last night i was listening to uh troy aikman and tony romo doing that exact job and those guys are absolutely flawless but it takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication to cultivate those skills And that's about enough talk about color commentary in both football and motocross. Let's quickly throw it to an interview that I did with Danica White from Fox Racing Canada. Enjoy. And this interview is brought to you by Fox Racing Canada, as well as Guts Racing USA, Throttle timepieces, and of course, our friends over at Phoenix Handlebars. Phoenix Handlebars, uh, your one-stop shop for all of your bar band needs. They're fantastic, whether it's the 1 and 1 8 bar or the 7 8 bar. Uh, they have a great fitment tool on their 
website and uh, great customer service as well. Jason takes care of everybody very personally uh, with that service. So go check those guys out, Phoenix Handlebars. Big MX Radio back here. Another interview. It's her fourth, third or fourth time on the Big MX Radio podcast. Uh, back by popular demand and because I love having her on here. Uh, Danica White. Danica, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. How are you, Brad? Hey, not doing too bad. Appreciate you asking. Uh, but to be honest, after a Canadian goes to Southern California, in the weeks and months that follow going down to Southern California, when you return to the frozen tundra, to the reality and the harsh reality that I look outside and it is cold and gray and covered with snow, um, I'm, I'm filled with a little bit of sorrow. But I got, uh, uh, but Sorrow likes company, and I, I got a, a fellow Canadian that's uh, fresh off of a California trip. So uh, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, what the heck, hey? I know when you come back from going to California during the winter, you're like, why do I live in the Arctic over here? But no, it's good. I, I'm happy to be back home and where we are at. But yeah, I know it was rad. We went down to A1, and we had some fox like pre-line events happening and uh invitational party on the thursday like open opening ceremonies before a1 so that was super rad to have a bunch of people in at fox hq in irvine it was like a invitational pump track race and pit bike race and it was gnarly it was such a cool event so see this is where i had like next level fomo when it came to this whole trip because like a good portion of why I ended up booking the trip to begin with, of course, I want to go to Anaheim one. I want to get those interviews, this, that, and the other thing. But when Austin Hoover, good friend over at Fox Racing, sends me an invite to come to this invitational event on the Thursday, I'm like, you know what? I've been toying with the idea of going to this race. I want to go see my friends over at Fox, meet JC, and maybe get to see Danica and everybody else. That's it. I'm booking it. I book uh, my flights. WestJet put my flights in a blender, so I never got to go there. So... Let me live vicariously through you, and as well, maybe the listeners can do so as well. Give us the 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 synopsis of everything that you got to take uh, take in with Thursday. I know you were helping with ticketing a little bit, like and stuff like that, but it just seemed like the ultimate event for a motocross fan, a Fox Racing fan. Tell me about it. Oh, totally. It was it was super rad, and I know it's too bad because we had a bunch of people that were supposed to come as well and their flights all got canceled and oh I know it was gnarly but it was rad because they did ha- help out with getting people in and getting their passes on so it was pretty rad to see like different athletes that came in and stuff so yeah it started off uh everyone was welcomed in I think it was around like 6 p.m and there's an in and out burger truck at the in and out section of the pit bike track so <sighs> the pit bike track actually went into the parking lot so that's where like the in and out burger stand was there's like a churro stand there's yeah a beer garden for like 21 and plus is yeah super rad like catered event and the cool part was yeah different athletes like athletes that weren't even fox like i i'm i'm pretty sure i i missed the pump track races but i don't think it was a fox athlete that won pump track and it wasn't a fox athlete that won the pit bike challenge so it was just cool to see other branded athletes welcomed in and that's what it's about. Like it's a community party and that's what moto is, is that community feeling. So yeah, Ricky was like emceeing with Emig, the pit bike races and people were pumped. There was kids there watching and it was just such a cool experience to have everyone outside back under the backyard lights and enjoy what 
fox is built for right we, they have those tracks in their backyard and that's what they're there for to get used and to see people enjoying it and having these rad vibes like it was yeah it was so awesome a total celebration of two-wheel ex- exhilaration pump track uh which f- for those who are um, mountain bike enthusiasts some of the best way to like test the balance, get the flow, uh, especially if you're dealing with some single track stuff. I loved uh, using a pump track to just like get that, uh, that good feeling of being on your, on your, on your, your pedals in that standing position. Uh, great workout as well, by the way, uh, as well, I'm not, who am I, who am I telling this to, uh, you know, as well as I do, uh, I come to find out also, you had mentioned off the air that, uh, the, the pump track itself, as well as the, uh, the pit bike track, pretty gnarly, given the fact that, uh, there was some cold weather and some rain in the area, uh, not, not shortly before the, uh, the events itself. So uh, y- you had to be good on two wheels. And then uh, on top of that, throw in uh, some adverse conditions. Oh, yeah, dude, you had to be on it. Like at first I was so stoked because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to totally shred some pit bikes. I'm so happy that I had to work. Like these guys were shredding and the track was super gnarly. Like they built it up. Like the track was legit and it was nuts. And the pump track track actually had ruts through the corners and it was pretty soft. Like it wasn't as hard packed as you think it was so yeah you had to be on it in order to throw down a fast lap so I got to try the pump track after the event and it was sick like they're going to leave everything for a bit I believe into spring so the tracks will firm up and kind of work in a little bit better but yeah it, it was no joke like Stank Dog was out there on his pit bike and just shredding like these guys were savages to each other no kidding. And so like, when, when you're down in Southern California, obviously you guys do some rides. I, I saw some really cool uh, vi- video and pictures of you guys going down in some canyons, hanging out with uh, with JC Sites, as well as his lovely family, who I also got to meet while I was down there. Didn't get to run into you, by the way, uh, but uh, uh, we were just ships passing in the night, way too busy uh, to, to connect. But um, yeah, like give us a little bit of an insight into uh like when, when you're not uh out um shredding up the canyons what is it that you're uh you're, you're taking care of on, on a on a daily basis yeah so on a fox level we we're helping out with we had some dealers come in from all over the globe it was amazing because we got to meet the european team and some fox european uh employees that i've never met before and they're amazing like it's just really cool to get all the employees from all over the globe under one roof and you just see that you're still connected by moto like everyone's stoked for the same thing we all share this passion so during the week that i was down there i was working at hq in california and just helping out with uh, organizing like getting people checked in because obviously covid still exists so we had to make sure that the building the building isn't open it's just like under construction right now but we did have some just showings and stuff going on. So it was very minimal. And then the backyard invitational helped out just getting everyone checked in and keeping it organized and stuff. So very low key, like it was rad because we got to see everyone. And then Saturday uh, we ended up going to the races, obviously. So that was easy day there. Like no complaints being at the races all day. That's where you get to see all the hard work everyone does all year and it just pays off seeing those athletes and their gear and everyone's stoked at the races like that's that's what it's about 
No kidding. And then you have uh, Ken Rocks in top step of the podium for the 450 class. Uh, Got to be a good feeling uh, for, for all Fox-headed uh, employees uh, at the end of the night for, for Anaheim 1. Uh, you've obviously not, this is not your first Supercross you've been to. Um, like, like take us through like the, the experience going to a race as, as an employee of one of these companies versus when you were, when you were young, sort of, uh, eyes full, like eyes wide and just full of wonderment is watching this, taking it in as a fan. Is it different for you or is, or is it still super special? Like what, what's, uh, what's the comparison? Oh, it's, I would say it's even more special now just seeing the back end, like the work that goes into every single small detail that you see, like happen throughout the year, like go into the first race of Supercross, like, as an employee, I would say it's more impactful than as a kid. I was just that, I was probably so annoyed. I just wanted like ice cream and pretzels and probably didn't even know who was racing. So it's definitely more enjoyable now. And then as a dealer, like I went to pre-line like these Fox events as a dealer. So it's pretty cool like that your hard work as a dealership does pay off in these instances as well too. So I got to experience it from like a dealer level being treated like being brought with Fox for I think it was three years there's a couple of years of psych works and, and then Blackfoot so it's pretty cool to kind of get all three perspectives but no they're all rad just to be at the race and uh, along with all your friends and walking through the pits and seeing the semis like it's just great to see racing back like we've missed it the last year and to see this this the fans were just packed in there so that was that was really cool Absolutely, it is. Like, it was honestly, it was like traveling back in time to 2019 because uh, uh, the 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 very few masks that I saw at uh, Anaheim Stadium in conjunction with actually being in the stadium hadn't been to one since uh, since March of 2020, just literally right as the the pandemic was looming uh, in the not so distant future. Um, like and like, get. Let's talk about the race for a second here. Anaheim won. Um, great. Just great venue in general. Love going there. The it's elect, it's electric when you go there. Uh, I don't exactly know where you guys were sitting, but uh, like when it comes to the 450 main event, uh, your guy made it look pretty easy. Like it was a, like it was a uh, a wild main event, but uh, probably a quiet one for one uh, uh, Ken Roxon because he, uh, he he was under siege to begin with, and then shortly thereafter just had the race to himself. Oh, for sure. I know you can, you can picture a better A1 for him. Hey, like that's who I had hoped for. And that was a smooth, awesome opener race. Like it was, yeah, for, to have like the whole Fox crew there, you, it was just unreal. Right. So yeah, that was a epic night for Kenny. Yeah, no kidding. Good to see as well. Like just like just a, a, a great performance tip to tail. Um, and like who else sort of stuck out for you? Like who else did you see that uh, like you, you were like, who, is there anybody that you particularly like to watch? Of course, I'm a huge Adam Cincerillo fan. I'm, it bums me out to see that his uh, and, and literally an AC problem is hampering AC. Uh, I haven't had that injury particularly, but I'm trying to come back from a shoulder injury within a month uh, of, of injuring a shoulder. I don't suggest that ever. So uh, that must be pretty hard. Dude, it's wild. Yeah, AC was definitely my other guy, and it, he had awesome starts, and he's there, like, he's got the speed, but yeah, to be riding around one arm, that definitely didn't work, and I'm always stoked to watch Sexton out there, too, like, he's so fast, and you can just tell, like, oh, I don't know if he just would have dialed it back a little bit, he would have been right there, but man, it seemed like it was so hard to watch the race there, because there was just, like, crashes and takeouts, and 
yeah, I had to go back and watch them when I got home because there's so many things that you're like, did that happen? Yeah, there's just, yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it was, and there was like takeout moves. Marvin uncharacteristically uh, launching Mookie off the off the track. <laughs> um, I think when I said this when I was in the press box, when Anderson was behind Barsha, like there that can those two can end up on the same podium. I guess they did this last weekend, um, but but still, like it's just that they can't do it anywhere near each other uh, because if you pass no. you pass Barsha. You better, you might as well put him in the stands because he's coming back for you the, the very next corner. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, Anderson hits the deck. Um, but but now he's got himself a win in, in Oakland. And honestly, I don't know if you if you uh, like watched uh, Anderson all that closely over the last two races, but he just seems like a completely different guy than I've seen the last couple of years. Like the, at least the last couple of years. Looks like to be back in uh, 2018 form. Like just a little bit more assertive, a little bit more, uh, has the ability to uh, pick up the pace. Have you noticed the same? Oh, yeah, he looks good. Like, he definitely found his flow. A- A1 was wild because he had his Barsha takeout. I think he got t- taken out by some other rider in the exact same corner in qualifying. So when that happened, right. get in the main. Yeah, we were just, I-, I was just like, oh, my God, like seeing him taken out at the same time. But, no, he's on it. Like, for him to crash, get up, hammer down, like, yeah, and now win Oakland, like, he did it so smooth. Like, it's crazy that the top, man, like, probably top six were just completely jumbled for Oakland. And, yeah, he made it look easy. So, it, it's great to see him back at it. Like, whether it's the bike change or personal change and or he just found it, the fire again, it's good to see him out front. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think well, the only uh, consistency so far in either class has been Christian Craig just being the class of the field in the 250s. Um, like I myself, I, I always find myself like still having a little bit of a soft spot for the 250s growing up, he being a huge like Mitch Payton, Pro Circuit Kawasaki fan. Um, is that the same for you as well? Like, do you do you like kind of dedicate like almost like kind of like 50 like is it is it still 50 50 or or uh, do you focus more on the premier class, the 450 guys? Uh, I would say it's 50 50. Like same thing. Like I love watching the Pro Circuit team. I got to go there and get like a tour around pro circuit or oh, it would have been like no big deal two, yeah two years ago and stuff so it's super rad to see like the back in there and how hands-on like mitch payton is and his athletes and i know it's sometimes like bad luck with like injuries and stuff but hammaker has been been on it shimoda's got the speed but yeah gnarly crash in oakland but yeah same thing like you just said with craig like the guy's on rails he's so smooth even just watching him like anyone go back and watch him through the whoops like at first, you're like, man, that Yamaha works so good through the whoops, but he's just such a good rider that it's, yeah, put him on whatever. He's just slamming through it. So he looks, he's he's on it for sure. Yeah, I, I was going to say Nate Thrasher was on the same machine and didn't make it look nearly as easy uh, <laughs> as, as Colt or as Colt or Christian did. Uh, and, and a get well soon to Colt Nichols. I think that guy was maybe your odds-on favorite to uh, to win that championship, but he's, uh, he's got two broken arms, not just one. Um, one of the things I was just sort of like thinking about when you were answering that last question is, like, obviously, um, y- you're like a like a hold a, a important position with Fox on the Canadian side. Is there anything that that American dealers do that uh, that you can then implement with your Canadian dealers that you work with, and vice versa? Is there stuff that that Canadian uh, 
dealers do that uh, that you can then bring those sort those sort of ideas and concepts to uh, some dealers in the states because uh, like the, at the dealer level I think that's a lot of that's something that a lot of listeners might not totally understand uh, or, or would love some insight for. For sure. Well, it's pretty cool. Like especially when you have these events where like Fox or another gear company or aftermarket bring dealers in, it's, it's really rad to see dealers love working together and building off other dealers, as long as it's not the one down the street that they're competing with. Right. Like (laughs) at the end of the day, if they can work together, if more people on bikes is, is awesome. Right. So a great example would be Maple Ridge Motorsports in BC. Sandra from Maple Ridge is amazing. She lives, breathes Fox. She's, such a great human and she's just there like pumping up other dealers letting them know like what they do for marketing helping them out it's, it's pretty cool so each dealer does bring different stuff to the table and they all have different racers and they implement different programs differently right so it's cool to see how maybe some would use social media to their benefit to bring consumers into their stores or what they're doing with their athletes, putting gear on them. And so it's pretty cool just to see them sharing those ideas. So it does correspond between dealers, even if it's like Canada to us and even European dealers, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's very transferable. Uh, um, like a good idea in one country, likely a, a, a good idea in another North American country. Um, is there anything that, that would work in an American market that doesn't work here? Um, I would say your seasonal products, like we ask for a lot of cold weather, like very cold weather gear. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's going to be different for California seasons. And people always ask, especially like riders coming to shops and you're working in Canada, they're like, why, why is the gear launching in fall? And that's, that's when California seasons start, right? So usually all the super sick, like new gear for the season is going to launch in your fall for the next year. So you're kind of seeing that seasonality now splitting up a bit where it's working a little bit better for both. But yeah, definitely you'll have your, your full super sick, like 180 line drop and fall. And it's, we're under like two feet of snow here. Right. So we're just oh, dreaming or planning our kits. kits As someone spring. with a, no, a November birthday, getting gear that I won't get to wear until it's too small for me. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah, exactly. You're just prepping your name and numbers all winter, just getting that kit looking good. And you're like, wait, this is like four months old. What if everyone has it? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like you're, you're just like clamoring to see if there's some sort of indoor event or an arena cross that you can race just so you can show off your gear. Uh, we are uh, sick puppies that way. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, what was your favorite Fox kit or Fox or kit in general? You can, this is a equal opportunity, uh, podcast. If, what really stuck out for you? Um, whether it would be at the, at a one or like, what, what's your, like, like you're, you're kind of a bit of a style master. You put, put it all together. Uh, always looking pro and going slow, uh, is, uh, is Tanika <laughs> yeah. White. That's at least my, uh, that's my philosophy. Um, <laughs> What's uh what's your go-to kit right now when it comes to uh, Fox or I guess it could be Shift as well. Yeah, well at the races, seeing AC wear orange like that was that was this weekend sick. was that pretty was... sharp. You saw my post from yeah, yesterday. I know it's funny because we were just talking about when RC <laughs> went orange. She never lost, right? So it's pretty. Right. It was a pretty dialed move for AC to come out in a full orange kit. Like that, that was sick. I know some will like not like it, like wearing orange on a cowie, but man, hey, that was pretty dialed in. That's memories <laughs> to me. 
Yeah, exactly. And then uh, how you mentioned Shift, it actually Shift uh, hold their MX22 line just dropped. So if you go to your local Shift dealer, they'll have access to that product and stuff. So there is, yeah, there is some sick kits in there. Like there's a their top level blue label kit. That's one of my favorites to run. Like once you go to that kit, you will not go back to anything else. Um, but yeah, there's a Nirvana kit. It's like this super rad periwinkle in white. Like not your not your mud race kit for sure. So that one's pretty sick. And some new black label colorways coming out as well. So yeah, that stuff actually is fresh, hot off the press. So yeah, I recommend going to your local Fox Shift dealer and and checking it out. Fair enough. Low chanceability that you'd be running uh, periwinkle and white at the uh, 2018 uh, uh, Minnedosa National. <laughs> yeah, probably not your best your your best mood there. No, I think I was just finding some random any jersey that had a number on it. I was like, I'm gonna wear this. Like we had, it was we were destroying gear that race. But oh, that was that was. A good time. If if somebody told me I had to go out and do second moto, I think I would have died though. Like it was just like, yeah, I was so stoked for the first one, and then got off, and you're just so exhausted, and everything's destroyed, and you're like, I do not have spares of everything on me right now. <laughs> no, no, no chance whatsoever. Good to hear. Um, but that's cool. Yeah, like, people should go check that out right now on the website. Uh, is it available now? Like they can go order it from either their local dealer or straight through the website for for the the, the brand new stuff from Shift. Yeah, I don't know if ecom set up, but I know dealers are starting to get their stuff. So I would either call ahead or if, if it's a dealer that you know that usually stocks Shift, they they should have some stuff flowing in. If not, it should be orderable through through your local dealer right now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, aside from that, on the horizon, all things Fox Racing and Danica White, uh, I know you've got a pretty exciting event coming up j- just 24 hours from now. Uh, Surf and Berm has a, uh, has, has a, an all, is it an all women's night? Tell me about it. Yeah. So Beeline is a super rad indoor bike park in Calgary, Alberta. And they, every Tuesday is ladies night there. It's just, lower admission like $25 day passes and I think $15 rentals so some of the Tuesdays we used to plan surf and berms nights where we get a lot of the moto chicks that show up that have never been either like to a pump track or they just want to try some cross training in the winter and like we said earlier the pump track and bicycle it crosses over so much for moto whether you want it to cross over or you're just coming out there to hang out so yeah we're doing a surf and berms night tomorrow where myself and some of the other berms crew they're going to show up and we just help encourage girls to get out there try it because it's nerve-wracking like the first time I showed up to beeline man I was so scared I'm like just a total potato on a bicycle and then now it's like my favorite place to go all winter so <laughs> it's awesome yeah no like I would never get invited to go on a mountain bike ride so now it's like at least like to go there and shred and get that balance and yeah, bike feel is just so universal. So yeah, the more the more people we can get on bikes and trying it and feel comfortable to come out. And I know like there's another one like Joyride out in Ontario. I know they helped get the one in Calgary set up with Ryan. Like they got some inspiration from them. So these exist or there's like a lot of outdoor ones. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. Get on your bike and whatever type of indoor track or pump track you can do. Like it's I highly recommend it. It crosses over so much for moto and off-road. Fair enough. You heard it here first from the potato on a motorcycle, which is what you will now be saved as in my phone. 
<laughs> yes, yes, slowly getting away from it. But yeah, no, we we all start as potatoes somewhere, so it's good. <laughs> I I think that that needs to be on a T-shirt as well. Um, fair enough. We we all start out as a potato uh, with Danica White. Uh, well, Danica, this is it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I encourage everybody go check out your, your local dealer that carries Fox and Shift and uh, get yourself fitted from from the from the feet up. Whether it's uh, whether it's the the, the amazing offerings on the boots, the, the Instinct boot is second to none. Uh, unless you're Danica and she has small, uh, crazy small feet and she has to wear Alpine stars, or you have uh, that the, the wider range of helmets that's uh, just like you, you can't sacrifice safety. And when you're when it comes to safety, the Fox helmet does it better than most. Uh, so go go with Fox as well on that way. And then uh, obviously head to toe as far as the kit, you're gonna look good in Fox. That's that, that's been the case since 1974 when the, when the business first started turning heads. Uh, at first to generate uh, a um, attention to the fact that they made shocks. Um, so pleasure to have you on the show. Um, leave us with a, with a remaining mark or is that uh, like final remarks or was that just the, the potato line? <laughs> I guess final remarks would just be get out on your bike. Even if it's winter, you, there's got to be an indoor place or get, build a little manual machine for your pedal bike. There's just, yeah, time on your bike is good for the mental health right so yeah get out and ride get out and ride with danica white uh, appreciate the time girl don't hang up just yet but for podcast sake we're gonna cut it off right there and now back to doug parsons um as it does also to be able to still ride supercross on a two-stroke none other than the great Bro. garrett steinke racing a 125 is it like um to put it in perspective you raced supercross on a 125 like how right. ridiculous is it that he put a KTM 125 uh, into the main event in uh, against fire breathing four strokes? Like it, it's kind of mind blowing. At least even to me, the fact that he was able to get that done, um, even though the fact that, like Garrett's, I guess he's a legitimate racer. Like as much as he has like the moniker of being uh, like just uh, like a, a wild man out there, this that and everything. Like I looked up his Loretta Lynn's results back in the day, and he's mixing it up with with some serious uh, uh, contenders, um, guys like Kyle Peters, guys like Zach Freeberg, guys like Ian Treadle. Like these are the guys he was racing with um, only a few short years ago. Yeah, for sure, he's a solid rider. Uh, riding a 125 on a Supercross track when I was racing, it was the gnarliest thing ever because I was there during the McGrath era and I was in the tail end of it. So it, the tracks were so technical. They had tried to make the track so gnarly to slow him down that when we, the 125 guys came out, when you're railing a bull turn and you're lining up for a triple and you're shifting the third on the face of the triple just to barely clear it, that's what it's like to ride a 125. And when the 250F came out, that same jump, you're rolling the turn in second, and you're just seat bouncing it on the face and just clearing it with ease. So the difference between the torque of a four-stroke compared to a 125 is so great. And to be able to compete with a four-stroke with that big of a disadvantage you know, everyone was eating it up. And I think just having the two-stroke out there was, was cool to hear, and that's what 
everyone was super stoked on. And I think it was cool that he was able to put it in the main. Like, that's it's a cool story, you know? Absolutely it is. I, 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 I'm a big fan of Stank Dog. I think he's always been gracious with me, always had time for me. Uh, he's very, he's like, uh, like despite his posts from Saturday night, uh, he's always been super polite and respectful and this, that, and the other thing. What was your take on him uh, sort of... Um, like uh, putting Mathis on blast, which I honestly, I was a little, I was pretty disappointed to see because uh, I, I don't think that uh, they were overly critical of, uh, especially Steve's in particular, were overly critical of the whole racing program. Um, and I think that the backlash was a little bit much. Uh, obviously, uh, he gets his hair up a little bit uh, about being doubted. And I think anybody does. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that um, that Mathis and those guys were, were out of line by sort of uh, having an eyebrow, at least an eyebrow raised at a guy uh, racing a 125, given the fact that the last time somebody made a, a main event on a 125 was Michael Willard back in 2007 at the Salt Lake or Seattle Supercross, so it it had been a while. Right. Yeah. No. I um, I don't know him. I when he started, uh, like when I started noticing him was around uh, the street rhythm events and stuff, and he was getting a ton of play, and that's kind of like where I learned about him. And uh, I hadn't followed him on Instagram, but then someone shared his story of him talking about Mathis and stuff, and and I, I clicked on his account and, and wanted to see what was going on and check everything out. And, you know, as, as a writer, nobody ever wants to hear that they think you can't put it in the main when you can. Like, no matter what, uh, if it were me, anyone, it would, it's, you know, it's not good. It's not fun to hear. Like, you don't want to hear someone like Mathis on the Pulp Show, which is, one of the the bigger uh, media outlets that are going out to everyone, you know, you don't want to hear someone doubting you. So I can totally understand where he was coming from. But then I also listened to what those guys had said. And from what I saw, Mathis didn't really, it didn't seem like he said anything that was too negative. It was mainly like Kiefer was kind of like the one that was, you know, saying like, no way, he's not going to do it. So I can kind of see why that would bother you. It would bother me for sure. I would do, I would have done the same thing probably. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I'm not out there. Who knows? Like, maybe there's more to it. Maybe what those guys said on the podcast uh, multiplied out into the, the social media sphere, and it got back to him, and it was just piling on and stuff, you know. Sometimes that kind of stuff happens, but yeah, it was, uh, he definitely roosted on Pulse and Steve for sure. <laughs> Pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, I, I believe that's called giving it with both barrels. Um, and Hey, that's, that's his prerogative. He like, he, he let, uh, let Steve have it. I'm sure he was a little bit disappointed. Like Steve was disappointed to see that, uh, as, as was, was I, but, uh, you know what? It's all, uh, it's all content and it's, uh, um, they, they, they say there's no bad, there's no bad press. So, uh, yeah. um, Pulp's probably going to get some extra views. Uh, and, and now, uh, Stank Dog is doing a riding clinic with, uh, AJ Catanzaro, uh, later on this week. So, uh, it all, it yeah. all works out in the end anyway. Um, but, uh, like sticking with the, the two, the 250 class, um, Christian Craig, 
he's just been absolutely unstoppable. The guy has been uh, lights out, a league of his own. And, and now with uh, some key injuries, just a couple of uh, his, his, like with Jalex Wall, uh, did not end up racing this weekend. And uh, with two broken arms for uh, last year's East Coast champion uh, in uh, Colt Nichols. Um, what are your th- like? He's just like there's a good to fair chance he runs the table on this. Like, uh, who who is, um, who is his closest competition? Is it uh, is it March or is not March Banks? Uh, um, uh, or is it uh, is Lawrence? Because honestly, I think you could probably uh, flip a coin on either one of those guys. But I don't think on on their best day, uh, I don't think they're beating Christian if he's on his game. No way. I think Christian. This is his year to lose for sure he's he's so much stronger than all those guys in the whoops a1 and at oakland and the whoops is really the only place you're going to pass people in supercross unless you're so much faster than them that you can set them up and pass them in turn but for the most part a lot of passing you want to do in the whoops that's the safest place because that's where you can go by someone side by side you don't have to come into them in a turn and, and battle. The whoops is always going to be probably the biggest passing place. And he rides those whoops so well, at least he did in A1 and A2, so much better than Lawrence and Hammaker. And Shimoda, he's fast, but he's still trying to figure it out. He's making mistakes. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's definitely Craig's to lose. And then uh, Hunter Lawrence, and Hammaker are like second and third, and I just don't know where they're going to fall as the series goes on. Is it going to be more Hunter Lawrence, or is it Hammaker going to come into his own, or is he going to start making rookie mistakes like Shimoda's doing? And, you know, is Shimoda going to start creeping into the picture? But I think Hunter Lawrence needs to find at least one or two or three more seconds of speed if he wants to contend with uh, Christian Craig. And if Hammaker wants to contend, he's got to come up with some more speed as well. But he's, he's more of a rookie, so he needs to also make sure he doesn't fall apart mentally because, as you can see with Shimoda, he's, he's got the speed for sure, but he just keeps making these little mistakes that everyone makes when, you know, they've only got a year or two experience in their belt. So it's going to be cool. But yeah, definitely Christian Craig. I mean, it's finally his year to lose, you know. Absolutely. Same same goes for Michael Mosman. Uh, both Shimoda and Mosman have, uh, have have been able to stay off the ground in the first two rounds, and uh, it's a short series. It's uh, it's almost already getting to the point where uh, those guys are are on the outside looking in, and yeah, like you said, uh, Lawrence. Uh, needs to establish himself at least being the second best guy before he can uh, really start to take swings at Christian, who uh, has made uh, two two main events pretty boring so far, and uh, and heading home to his home race of San Diego, and then back to uh, I think it's uh, San Diego, then Phoenix, then Am- Anaheim, or maybe then it's Anaheim, then Phoenix. Um, yeah, like, there's going to be a lot of races that are sort of right in Christian's backyard, uh, and and he hasn't uh, missed a step yet. Uh, hasn't so much had uh, a bad qualifying session so far. So, um, like, interesting to see how that all shakes out. I think that there's uh, um, going to be some great racing coming up. And with that, I ask you, 
for your San Diego predictions, my friend, what, how is this going to continue going forward? Do you, do you see uh, Anderson continuing to, to like establish himself as a title contender and, and, and grab another win? Is he on the box in the 450 class? Uh, what are your, what's your, give me a podium prediction, 450s, then 250s. I'll do the same. All right. Yeah, for sure. I think Anderson's going to have the hometown advantage. I think he lives in PV, Pacific Beach. So he's going to be feeling it for sure. He's got the, the hometown crowd there, even though it's his, uh, his new hometown, but still it's, it's, he's going to have that hometown energy for sure. And I think he'll, he'll be coming off the momentum from the win at Oakland. As far as second and third goes, uh, you know, that is a good question because does Tomac uh, start putting it together and start creeping back up onto the box? Does Sexton put it together and uh, land on the box? Um, does Roxton bounce back and put it on the box? Uh, does Barsha uh, continue to be consistent and land on the box? It's so tough. I don't know. Uh, I'm a huge Roxton fan, so I'd like to see him up there as well. And then as far as third goes, um, and I don't know, uh, I, I'm a Sexton fan too, so it would be cool if it went like Anderson, Roxton, Sexton. That would, I think that would be pretty cool. And as far as 250s go, I think uh, Craig's for sure got the hometown advantage. He's going to be solid. He's got two wins. The momentum is picking up. And then as far as second and third goes, I think Moseman is finally going to put it together because he's also up there too. He's got the speed. But he just keeps making these minor mistakes. And I think he's finally going to put it together. And he'll be a second-place rider. Uh, and, I, and I think Hunter Lawrence, I'm going to go with him to round out the top three because he's got the Honda team. Uh, he wants to win super bad. And I also think that he got hurt one of the first years that he came out here. Last year was, like, I think his first full season back being healthy. I think he's just going to start building on that, and he's going to get back to the the Hunter Lawrence that came from Europe and, you know, was a super solid, healthy rider before he had those uh, shoulder injuries and stuff. So I think uh, that's what, that's my those are my predictions. Fair enough. Well, those are all uh, sound predictions uh, based on like the fact that these guys are, are really clicking the beginning of this season. Uh, I'm going to throw out there, I'm going to think that uh, – Eli Tomac finally gets himself a start, and, and from there, he just motors away from these guys. I think Eli Tomac makes it look easy and boring in San Diego. Uh, he's had success there in the past. I think he's going to look good good there again. I think it's a, him top step of the podium, followed by Cooper Webb, and then uh, give me uh, give me Barsha again. He's just, he, he seems relaxed. He seems... Um, they keep get himself like he hasn't been sort of in a lot of trouble aside from uh, him taking out Anderson. Um, like he's he's been the aggressor, not somebody who's being sort of like imposed on whatsoever. And I think that's a that's a great position for him to be in. And then uh, in the in the 250 class, I think it's a cakewalk for Christian. I think that he's got a six second lead at the halfway point. See you later. Uh, followed by uh, Hamaker. And then I think you're gonna round out the podium with another Kawasaki. I think Shimoda stays off the ground uh, and you. 
you've got uh, an all Monster Energy Drink uh, podium in the 250 class. Uh, better days ahead for uh, for Joe Shimoda. I think the the kid's got some uh, got some speed, and he's gonna finally gonna find some cons- consistency this weekend in San Diego. Uh, Doug, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I hope that you you've enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate it. Anytime to to bench race and shop talk about moto, supercross, freestyle, tell stories. I'm all about it. I appreciate it. Hey, man, I really appreciate making the time. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. Boom. One hour and one minute of pure gold. Not bad at all, Perfect. my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So so you uh, you just recorded on your end, too, through ETAM? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a pro- program called Call Recorder, and then it gets dumped into... And there you have it, another episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it. Doug Parsons, fantastic interview, and I think there's a lot more info there than we even really uh, were able to kind of scratch the surface of uh, some of the stories that he might be able to uh, uncork for us. So looking forward to doing more of that, some more freestyle stuff. You know those guys, those guys have all kinds of crazy stories that uh, we might be able to uncover. So I am going to uh, try and do a little bit more of a deep dive with Doug in the coming months. And uh, I hope that you guys have also been enjoying having Danica on the show. And we've got something special planned for uh, in February, the second or third week in February. We're going to have her on again uh, with some special guests as well. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please send it to a like-minded individual who might like it as well. That would be fantastic. If you include it in a social media post or a story post, I would love to share that as well. So uh, as always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.